Welcome to Paytech Talk. Today's guest is Anders Olofsson, Head of Payments for Finastra. Anders, welcome. Thank you, man. Ah, nice. Yeah, only one guest today. So can you tell us a little bit now about what you're up to at Finastra? So uh, thank you. I'm, I'm globally heading payments for Finastra and been doing so for quite some time now. And um, now here in Amsterdam for the Money 2020. Um, and also talking to a number of fintechs and banks and the likes. Um, so that's what I do. Nice. Well, thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule, Money 2020 schedule, to come and sit with me in our humble studio. So uh, first question, how is fintech driving innovation in payments? Well, I think that even before the introduction of PC2 in Europe and globally around open banking, fintechs and as well the the nail banks, mm -hmm. then considered as being fintechs, um, was kind of taking the leading position in uh, in innovation around banking. And uh, they also taking direct consumer interface and actually addressing the exact consumer needs and and a bit taking the leaders from, from the banks and taking that position to be having that direct communication with the clients and, and taking the, uh, the relevant use case to them. And I think that... What we now see in the industry, though, is that banks are kind of rebounding back and taking that position back, and the fintechs as well, moving away from actually having the the uh, um, the customer base as as direct consumers, and moving back to become more of a technology vendors to banks. We've seen as well the um, the likes of a few account aggregators that mm -hmm. tend to be focusing on consumer solutions, but now position themselves as providing technology to banks or being um, partnering or even acquired by the likes of Visa or MasterCard. Thank you. So uh, you work for Finastra, a pretty big uh, name in payments. What are the big opportunities out there for uh, your company? So I think that we've been around for some 30 years in payments, working with the leading banks like Citi, HSBC and Barclays in the UK. Um, always traditionally being the banking technology vendor for these banks. Um, and with the, you know, we have over 9,000 clients globally. And, and obviously, we're one of the big, big vendors in the market. And as we see the industry changing, we also see that we need to change as a vendor in the market. And I think that we are now taking the lead in transforming ourselves to better support these banks. And the big opportunity that we see now is the entire introduction of banking as a service, which is, I think, is a tremendous shift for banks, both business mm -hmm. and operating model. And so meaning that how banks gonna make money, how they're gonna be serving the customers and how do they define their customers and what role and relevance is bank gonna have. And that's where I see that we are now increasingly helping banks to shape their future business model around banking as a service. And that's probably the most exciting topic that we're gonna see over the next three years is also a the number one item that we define as our big bet in Finastra for the next three years. Okay, banking as a service. So would you also cater to captives uh, as well or just like banks? So I think that we, we see that banks never really own the customer journey um, for consumers or corporates. It's always a captive, another organization that owns mm -hmm. the actual um, customer journey. In the corporate space, it would be in HR module, an ERP system, or a, a, a procurement portal. All these are the customer journeys that a corporate runs through. And as a consumer, 
my my customer journey mm-hmm. as a consumer would be owning my car, owning my right. house, uh, attending my gym classes. That's my customer journey. And that's where banking services will be needed at certain points and interactions along that journey. But it's not solely going to be a financial services journey. It's always going to be a customer journey related to some other experience that is non-financial. Okay, great answer. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Switching lanes, how can fintech be used for a, as a force of good? Well, then again, how do you define good, right? Do we find good in in bringing a you know a, a more democracy into the world or feeding the hungry or providing shelter for the homeless? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in in the force of being good in forcing banks to be innovative, I think that they already proved their point that they are forcing banks to be more innovative. And I think as well that the the younger generation, which I'm not one of them, but the millennials, <laughs> I see that they have a different agenda and there, there's a different imperative for for young talent today when they're choosing their employer. And I think that they are more looking for an employer that that is addressing um, uh, equality to a greater right. extent. And that's I think that that's where they provide the true goodness. Right? Innovation may not be good in the sense of humanity, but I think that that, that how is the fintech is attracting talent in and forcing banks as well to be taking that up as an agenda and that's extremely important. Yes, absolutely. There there are different ways to define good and for different people as well in organizations. Uh, getting personal a little bit. Do you have anyone who's inspired you along your your journey in payments? Well, it's a that's a good question. I think that I go back, remembered when I started my career, scaling enough, 25 years in the banking industry and, and did payments. And I remember as well, the, there were a few people in their 50s and they were stone old aged. And <laughs> uh, I remember how impressed I was with their knowledge, their depth and how they would actually look at his fifth message, knowing exactly all the fields and the content of that file message. And I was so impressed by them. And I thought that I wish when I grow up that I'm going to be like one of them. And, um, and I worked at a company called Logic at the time. Now they are CDI. And they were really, really, really good experts at the time. Um, but then again, actually, in one of the events uh, three, four years ago, I, I met quite a few of them. And scaringly start discussing about how it was when we went to this and this client meeting some 20 years ago. And I said that how much I admired them and they were so old and senior at the time and then start backtracking, calculating how old they actually were when we had that <laughs> meeting, realizing that actually they were younger than I was now. And now I looked at them and they were like in their 70s. So I like, oh shit, I mean, time has been passing by so fast and within no time I'm going to look like them and they are like in their 70s. So that scared me, but also I realized as well that I, I don't feel that I fully fully made made into their suits and shoes mm-hmm. because they were the old school guys because they were tri- you know predominantly men at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they were awesome. I mean, from a knowledge perspective and and their work ethics, and they they really put a lot of effort in being true experts. Whilst I think that nowadays we have including myself at times, people talking a lot about things we don't fully master and control. And a lot of people have a very strong point of view. Whilst back in 25 years ago, people really knew their shit. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you, is there a reason why you think 
what has caused that shift and sort of the, like the craftsmanship to the sort of like I know a lot, you know, you know a little about like a lot of things, and you kind of experts, you're kind of competent in a bunch of things instead of solely focused on that one thing. Well, I think that I don't know whether the, you know, the the master of none. Um, <laughs> I don't think that we value mastering something. We we don't actually. Which is negative about the time we're living in is that I don't think that we go to the depth of knowledge and the depth of insight, and we may not be listening enough to people and trying hmm. to understand it because the world is so complex and we kind of surface everything, and I think that that's where we don't really truly value deep knowledge because we don't purely we don't have time to mm -hmm. listen or time to get into a, a detailed topic. We find ourselves on a very shallow uh, approach on things, which I. Which I regret, but also that I think that it's also such a complex world, so different, difficult to to absorb all that knowledge. No, absolutely. Uh, and the last question is a particular, a peculiar question. What is a question that you wish someone in an interview would ask, but they don't? Well, they rarely ask me about my pants and why I'm not <laughs> wearing socks and how I have the courage to have this dress code. And good thing we're doing a podcast and you <laughs> can't really see me. But um, I think that I wish people talk more about fashion when it comes to payment industry. I think that we, we neglect the topic of fashion and dress code because now we, and that's the one thing, the evil that fintech have brought into the banking <laughs> industry is probably the T-shirt. T-shirt and jeans or like a hoodie or like a... The true evil. The true <laughs> evil that fintech has brought into, the, that would clearly be the hoodie. Uh, clearly. Oh, well, that's, well, well, that's interesting because I'm a, a man of many suits and I'm sitting next to, across from Unders and he's wearing this very nice brown double-breasted jean suit. Like je this jean material suit with this brown tie and it's immaculate. And I respect, I respect the game, definitely. All right. So I'll, I'll, let's make a promise that we try to avoid um, hoodies and try to go back to our suits and ties as a fashion because that's something that make, made banking industry in the past so unique was a dress code. Uh, I think that that's the only thing I miss about the old school banking. Well, it's funny because mo most, even most bankers I talk to, they don't actually like wearing the suit. It's more like a uniform. And you can tell when someone loves wearing a suit they enjoy it because of how they look you, you know you just kind of you just shine but it, instead of it, it just being a uniform or something you have to wear because you're compelled it's you can you can definitely tell at least i think i can tell the people who just wear it because okay it's the dress code at whatever bank or you know asset manager i work at whereas someone who's like hey you know like i enjoy the fashion and the style about it yeah, true, true. I think that that's definitely a topic for a new podcast <laughs> to actually have more about fashion in the banking industry. And I think that will be a revival. Obviously, uh, the introduction of teams hasn't really helped our fashion and, and having calls in your PJs is, um, is not bringing. But also, there are quite fashionable PJs as well. So um, You can get some fancy PJs too. I, I know of quite a few brands, actually, so I'll, I'll, I can't really recommend them on, on, on the tune. <laughs> but definitely, there are a few really good brands. Okay, well, <laughs> thanks, Anders. We'll continue this offline. Uh, thanks for stopping by Paytech Talk, and have a great money 2020. Well, for the last day. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks.